following message is presented by Erie Evangelical Free Church in Erie, Illinois. We are a church that exists for the good of our community and are proud to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as we seek to know Him and make Him known. We're starting this new series today, one that we are calling Unwavering. Um, and to understand what that means, we have to understand what the word unwavering means. Right? And, and if someone were to ask you, well, what, what does unwavering mean? If you're like me, your answer would be not to waver. Because that's just the way I would answer. Not, not to waver. Well, what does waver mean? Well, now we got a good question, right? What does it mean to waver? And, and we could simply say it, it means to be unsteady, to be unsure, to be vacillating back and forth, to be unsteady. All right, so when you think of wavering, just take a second and kind of think what, what picture comes to mind for you? What picture comes to mind when you think of wavering? For me, the picture that comes to mind is um, just about a week and a half ago, um, Hayden had her birthday. And for her birthday, she got roller skates. Never had roller skates before. She wanted roller skates. So she got roller skates. She's all excited. She gets up, she puts her roller skates on and we're in the, in the kitchen and going out to the living room because we've got laminate hardwood floors, so it's easy to roll on. And we're not ready to just shove her out the door and see if she can roll. So we're coming through, then, and for, for, for a while, we're going through the, the kitchen, from the kitchen to the living room. We turn around, and we come back, and I would hold on to her hands, or she'd hold on to my arms, and she would roll a little bit, and then she would start trying to move herself, which just meant her feet were going everywhere but forward, right? They were not staying under her. She's back like this. She's forward like this. The feet are flying every which direction. She had a blast, but she was wavering. She was not steady. She was not firm. She couldn't control her feet. She couldn't stand. She was wavering. Again, in the spring, we started the book of Colossians. And in the first 23 verses of this letter to the Colossians, Paul takes this deep dive into the gospel. And he clearly lays out salvation in Jesus Christ through his victory and through the authority of who Jesus is. And now over the next five weeks, we're going to see a little shift in Paul's letter. It's a move from that foundation of the gospel to explaining how we stand unwaveringly upon that foundation. And we'll begin the conversation with a look at, at service. All right, so what does a ministry built on the foundation of the gospel look like? Right, and, and for two weeks, for these next two weeks, Paul's going to talk about this, this idea of unwavering service to the Lord. He's going to show us how he, how he engages in this unwavering service to the Lord. How he seeks to live out that gospel message that is foundational in his life. And we're going to learn from Paul in this. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about our individual callings and our individual ministries that God gives us and how he calls us to serve. But for today, in the first few verses of this, Paul's going to give us really a flyover view of Christian ministry. What, what God-honoring, gospel-centered ministry does. Right? And before you go, well, I'm not in ministry, so I don't have to listen to this, stop, you're wrong. 
If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a ministry. God has called you to some ministry of the gospel. I don't know what that is for you. We're going to talk about some of that next week when we get into the individual calling. But for today, just know God has given you a ministry. The question is, how are we going to live that out? How are we going to operate on the unwaveringly upon the foundation of the gospel in the ministry that God gives us? And Paul's going to show us three things that the, the gospel foundation ministry does. First, he says gospel ministry perseveres for the church. Gospel ministry perseveres for the church. Watch how he starts this next section. Verse 24, he says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I'm completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is, the church. Gospel ministry perseveres for the church. Again, Paul has established the gospel as his foundation, and now he says, and here's how I walk purposefully upon that foundation. He says, I rejoice in my sufferings, and here's the two key words, for you. Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for you. Paul's not rejoicing in what he gets from his suffering. Now, Paul knows that he receives a lot from his suffering. He knows that in his suffering, he is made more like Christ. We know that we receive from our suffering, right? James 1, verse 2 through 4, what does is, what is James write? He says, take joy in your suffering. Why? Because God's doing a work to make you mature and complete. So we, we get from our suffering. That's not why Paul is rejoicing here. He says, I am rejoicing for you. It's not about what he receives from his suffering. It's what others receive through his suffering. Okay, well, what is that then? Well, Paul goes on and he says, because I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's affliction. Does that sound like a strange phrase to anybody else? Do you read that and go, whoa, 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 hold up. Paul's completing in his flesh what's lacking in Christ's affliction? So Jesus' death wasn't enough? Is, is Paul saying we need his suffering? Because Jesus' suffering isn't enough. Now, you're all astute theologians, and you know the answer to that is no. No, we know that Jesus' sacrifice, Jesus' suffering was enough. So why this strange phrase? What does it mean? Well, we have to understand the word, for one thing, the word affliction used here, what is lacking in Christ's affliction, shows up about 45 times in the New Testament, and never is it about Jesus on the cross. It's never about Jesus' death his sacrifice. It's never about what he has given to us. Okay, so what does it mean? Well, we understand this phrase not by looking at the word affliction, but by understanding what Paul is saying when he says, what is lacking? Because this is another phrase that Paul uses a few times. One of those times is in Philippians chapter 2, verse 30, where Paul writes, Epaphroditus, came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life, listen, to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. Completely unhelpful at this point, right? Did that clear it up for everybody? No. See, what Paul is saying in, in Philippians is that what was lacking was not the work of those who were doing ministry on his behalf. It was that he was far away and couldn't receive it. 
It wasn't about what was offered in the ministry. It was about what was received and the ability to receive. So what Paul's saying here is he's making up in his body what's lacking in Christ's affliction. He's saying what's lacking is not the gift of redemption through Jesus Christ. What's lacking is the faith on the part of the receiver. What's lacking is the trust to grab a hold of the redemption that Christ offers. Paul sees his suffering as a, a visual cue, an example for the church so that they can see and, and, and in some small way wrap their heads around what Christ has done for them so that they can come to him so that they can receive the gift of salvation. Paul sees his ministry purpose of suffering for others, not as some obligation he has in the Christian faith, but he sees it as the motivation for him to persevere, to continue on even in his suffering. Why? Because he's giving the believers a chance to see and understand Christ more clearly. That's what drives him on, even in the face of suffering. That's what causes him to persevere because he loves these people and wants them to know Christ more and love Christ more deeply. So he continues even in his suffering. Okay, what does this mean for you and me? Well, again, you and I, we are all called to serve God's kingdom faithfully to take on the ministry that God puts in front of us. And what does that look like? Very simply, and what does Jesus say is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God. Second one's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So our ministry, if we're looking, again, broad view of our ministry, our ministry is to love the Lord, love others. You don't know what your ministry is? Let me define it for you. Your ministry in life as a follower of Jesus Christ is to love the Lord and love others. If we're gonna be faithful believers, if we're gonna be faithful followers of Jesus Christ, if we're gonna claim to be faithful, then we must be faithful to God's call in our lives to fulfill the ministry that he puts in front of us. And here's where it gets hard, right? Because faithful ministry, faithful love, will require perseverance. Anybody want to argue against that? To love others faithfully is super easy. Requires no work, no effort on your part, right? No. And faithful ministry will always require perseverance. Because Satan will fight you every step along, every step along the way. Because the lack of commitment on the part of the people you're trying to love will weigh you down and wear you out. Because your own fatigue and frustration will beg you to give up. You ever felt those? But gospel-centered, Christ-centered ministry, our ministry perseveres, even in the face of everything that tries to hold it back. Not because of what we receive, but because of what we are called to do in that ministry which is to love, all right? We love God, we love others, and so we persevere to see the best for those around us. 
This is why I love what Paul does in, in 1, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13. Right, the love chapter, everybody's favorite wedding chapter. We've talked about this many times. But my favorite verse in 1 Corinthians 13 is actually in chapter 12. Don't, don't, just stick with me. I know it's not in chapter 13. It's in chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse 31, the way Paul leads in to the love chapter. If you remember chapter 12, Paul is going, hey, here's how the spiritual gifts work. Here's how you are to live as a church. Right? God does these incredible things in each and every one of you, and he wants to work in you. He wants to work through you. And you may see incredible things happen. But then he ends that conversation leading into the love chapter with this. But desire the greater gifts. He says, and I will show you an even better way. He says, whatever you can do, whatever you can accomplish, whatever you think looks like faithful ministry, fine. That's all good and well but there's something way better than any of that. And what is it? Love. Love the Lord your God. Love one another. Persevere. Right, that's the only thing that's gonna get you to persevere when the challenges come to your ministry. That call to love <laughs> is understanding how God has loved you and how he has called you to live that out. And because there is... There is nothing any other person will ever be able to do for you, will ever be able to give you, will ever be able to fulfill in you that will be enough to fight against the opposition that comes against you. There's nothing that's, that's gonna be enough for you. Except, except for the love of a good, holy, and perfect God. So do we serve where the Father sends us out of love for those around us? Do we persevere, not for what we think we might gain, but for the sake of God's kingdom and God's people? Gospel ministry perseveres for the truth. How does it do this? And Paul gives us the answer in verses 25 through 27, where he says, gospel ministry proclaims the truth. Gospel ministry proclaims the truth. Verse 25, he says, I have become its servant according to God's commission that what was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Gospel ministry proclaims the truth. In verse 25, Paul says that he serves, first, the church, second, at God's disposal, as commissioned by God, and third, for the purpose of proclaiming the gospel. See, Paul knows that it's only through the, the proclamation of the gospel that the church ever grows and bears fruit. We talked about this in Colossians chapter one, where, where Paul is encouraging the church, right? In verse six, he says, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing all over the world, just as it has among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. He says, it's through God's grace that the kingdom of God grows and bears fruit. Only through God's grace, through the proclamation of the gospel. 
He goes on and he says, and this, this is the mystery that has been hidden, but is now revealed to his saints. You ever wonder about the hidden mystery of the gospel? Wait, God was just keeping it to himself? Like, I get, you remember the old commercial of the guy who had the dollar bill on the fishing rod? It's like, oh, oh, not quite fast enough. Is, God, is that God with the God? Like, hey, I got salvation for you. Oh, no, you won't really understand it. Here, t- try again. Oh, you got to be quicker than that. No. The hidden mystery of the gospel points back to the fact that, that uh, the God's salvation for his people was never fully realized in the Old Testament to the Old Testament saints. They received the law, but the law could not save them. The law was only meant to point the Jews to their need for a savior. Salvation was revealed through the Holy Spirit then, of Jesus Christ, not just to the Jews, but to the New Testament church. This is the mystery that was hidden. It's Jesus Christ, his sacrifice, his death, his resurrection. It's found in Christ. And, and, and Paul does this thing here where he, at the very end of this, right, he calls Christ the hope of glory. Right, you see that? He calls him the hope of glory. And, and, and to most of us, we're gonna read that and go, okay, Jesus is the hope of glory. Got it, right? And we kind of move past it. But to the Jewish audience, this was an incredible phrase that Paul uses. See, glory, especially in the Old Testament the Jewish context. Glory is a word that means weight or heaviness. It's it's the power, it's the the value of who God is, his glory. It's the fact that he is the God who created the heavens and the earth, nothing but a word from his mouth. The God who is reigning and ruling over all things at all times. This is is the glory of God. And when you get to the, the prophets in the Old Testament, the, the glory of God is, is usually traced to the day of deliverance, the day of the Lord. And Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, however you want to pronounce it, chapter 2, verse 14, God says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord's glory as the water covers the sea. This is him talking about when God comes in judgment. Right? God's glory will be obvious to everyone as obvious as it is that there is a sea on the earth. Right? Anybody know anybody who's like, I don't believe the sea exists. I don't believe there's an ocean. No, it's obvious. And Paul says, this is Christ, the hope of that glory. Right? And what he's saying here in calling Jesus the hope of glory is that he is clearly stating that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise of salvation. Now, that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise of salvation means Jesus is the only means of salvation. That is a phrase that will not sit well with most of our world. That is a phrase that will not sit well with many who call themselves Christians. Let that sink in for a second. But Paul says there's there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. The truth is the truth. Jesus Christ is the one and only Savior. And by no other name 
can man find salvation. This is Paul's call to an, eject, uh, an objective, eternal truth of who Jesus is. In our world, we don't like objective, eternal truths. We like you to have your truth, and I'll have my truth. Right? Isn't, isn't that the way? I, you have your truth, I have my truth, and we're fine. Which is an utterly ridiculous statement. That somehow our world has said, no, that seems to make sense. No, it's ridiculous. Because if what's true to you and what's true to me are different, then they cannot be true. Truth is true, or it's not truth. Paul says there is only one truth. Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior. I don't want to spend a ton of time here because we're going to get into this a lot as we continue to go through our study of Colossians. But we always need to come back and remember that how this works in our ministry. Right? Our acts of loving service are, are, are meant to be a response to and an invitation to the truth of the gospel. Every act of ministry on our behalf is meant to proclaim the truth of the gospel that Jesus is exactly who he says he is, does exactly what he says he does. Like it or not, take it or leave it, the truth is the truth. Right? We, don't, we don't hope to proclaim some culturally accepted interpretation of the gospel, but the eternally true, effective, and glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, that's not an excuse for us to be jerks to those who disagree with us or to talk down to or talk at those who have not come to that understanding yet. Because we are called to proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ, but we're called to do it how? In love. Every week you walk in, you can look right at that wall. If you don't know what I'm talking about, if you just walk past it, when you leave, look at the wall above the elevator. All right, Ephesians 4, verse 15. We are called to speak the truth in love. Why? Because this is the way Jesus spoke truth. Jesus spoke truth in love. When Jesus encouraged, he did it lovingly. When Jesus taught, he did so lovingly. When Jesus corrected, he did it lovingly. When Jesus rebuked, he did it lovingly. You want to see this in play? Look at John chapter 4. Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman by the well. Everything about this woman was a rejection of who God is and who God called his people to be and who God called his children to be in this earth. And Jesus sits down and have a conversation with her. And Jesus speaks truth to her, right? He says, listen, you don't understand who I am. If you did, you'd be acting differently. And he says, I, I know you're not living with your husband. I know you've had several. And I know the man you're living with now isn't your husband. And he says, I know you don't know how to worship me. All truth, all very hard things. But how does Jesus do it? He does it lovingly. Because everything Jesus says is not meant to bring her down or to point out her faults, like she doesn't understand who she is or where she's been. Everything Jesus said is meant to point her back to God's love, grace, and mercy. To bring her back. That's what he's doing. It's not meant to break her down. It's meant to build her up. So that she understands who he is. So she understands the eternal life that she can have only in him. 
We are to be people who speak the truth. But we're always to be people who do it in love. We don't waver. Right? We stand firm on the truth. I love the way in, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, it says, let us hold on to our confession of our hope without wavering. And I think it's the NIV that in there says, uses the word unswervingly, which I love. Hold unswervingly to the truth that we profess since he who promised is faithful. We stand firm and we speak the truth. We do it in love. We can't shrink away from hard truths because we always have to come back to the truth of the gospel, to the fact that we are not our own people. God created us by the word from his mouth, by the breath, breathed life into us, called us to know him, to love him, to follow him, watched us turn and go our own way time and time and time and time and time and time again. And still in his love, sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live perfectly, die sacrificially, rise victoriously, to deliver us completely from our sin and the destruction of who we want to be and what we want in our flesh so that we might be made right with our heavenly father. Not by trying to be good enough because we can never be good enough, but to be made right by the sacrificial blood of Jesus Christ. Show me a religion, a philosophy, a way of thinking that doesn't confess that. One that caters instead to cultural desires or human desires. I don't care if it's a school of thinking or a self-professed church. That's a place that's nothing more than a cult that's leading its followers to hell. We proclaim the truth. We do it in love, but we proclaim the truth. Listen, are we willing and able to lovingly and carefully stand firm in the truth? We have a purpose for our commitment and a foundation upon which we stand. Paul closes this passage in verses 28 and 29, where he says, Yes, godly ministry perseveres for the church, and godly ministry proclaims the truth. But then he says this, godly ministry produces godly maturity. Gospel ministry produces godly maturity. Again, let's, let's finish this passage. Verse 28 and 29 says, we proclaim him, right? Him, who's him? The hope of glory, Jesus Christ, the one and only Savior. We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. Paul's entire ministry is summed up in these two verses. It's through the, the truth of the gospel that Paul warns and teaches, sharing wisdom and laboring in the Holy Spirit in order to present everyone mature in Christ. Okay, again, we have a phrase to present everyone mature in Christ. Okay, what, is, what does that mean? Because if we approach it the way we usually think of maturity, Paul's saying, listen, if people just hang out with me, 
they're gonna be the best Christians in the world, right? They're gonna be mature in their faith. They just have to, they just have to follow me because I got all the answers. Again, you're astute theologians. You know that's not what he's saying. So, so what does this mean to present everyone mature in Christ? The way Paul uses the, the word mature here, um, and, and, and some of your translations may actually use the word complete or perfect, um, depending on, on the, the Bible you're reading. But maturity here is not about spiritual growth and progress. To be perfect before the Lord is not about spiritual growth and progress. Because if that's the case, you're never going to be mature. So Paul's talking gibberish, right? Anybody know anybody who's perfect? Who's figured it all out? Never sins in any way, shape, or form? No. So none of us are perfect. So he's not talking about spiritual growth and progress here. What he's talking about is a matter of redemption in Christ. Right? You may ask, well, aren't those kind of one and the same? Yes, kind of, but not really. They go together, but they're not the same. See, Paul is referencing here a maturity as a trust and a submission to Jesus Christ, which welcomes Christ's offer of redemption that then allows us to grow and progress in our faith. It's through that submission that Christ gives us what we need to grow and mature in our faith. I, I was trying to come up with a, a really good way to understand this, and I really couldn't come up with anything. So here's the best I've got. I apologize. It's like gasoline and your car. They work together, right? Unless you've got an electric car. We're not getting into that right now. Just well, stick with me. You've got gasoline. Gasoline, gasoline in your car. They work together. Put the gasoline in the car and the car goes, right? But if you don't have any gasoline, how far does the car go? Nowhere. You need the gasoline. Godly submission and spiritual growth work together. But your growth goes nowhere without the gasoline of submission. The entire point of Paul's service, his ministry, and, and really the entire point of our ministry, our gospel ministry and service to the church and to one another is help, to help each other to, to know Christ and to then make Christ known. The purpose of our ministry is never to change someone's mind or to save them. You and I are incapable of that. You and I are incapable of that. Only the Holy Spirit, only the Holy Spirit can refocus the, 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 the soul of the lost, can bring redemption to the lost. Our goal, our job, our ministry is to proclaim Christ with all that we think, all that we do, all that we say, to live in such a way that points to him and to him alone. Our work is to live, act, speak, and interact with others in such a way that they are drawn 
to him. We get a blessing of being the conduit through which that happens. And as we love others, as we speak the truth in love, as we continue to proclaim the the goodness and the faithfulness of our God, God may use us speaking through us in the lives of other people. But that's not because of what we have to offer or what we bring to the table. Our job is to conduct our ministry in a way that looks to produce godly maturity. Again, not because of what we do, but because of what God will do through our faithfulness. We serve to reaffirm Christ to the believer and to joyfully affirm him to the non-believer. Is this the way we think of our service? Is it about what we can do, what we can accomplish, what we can show others? About look at, look at how good my faith is. I did this for this person and I did. Or do we simply see an opportunity to love, to encourage, and to be God's conduit that draws others towards that maturity. It's a really easy thing to just run through our lives and and even through the normal paces of our, our Christian lives and never really think about what we're actually trying to do. I mean, we, we might think about what's right in front of us, maybe what the day's or, or, or week's agenda may hold, but, but we can really easily operate without ever truly and deeply examining the big picture of God's call in our lives and the ministry that he has set before us. It becomes really easy to never ask the question, what are we looking to accomplish in what we're doing, to never have that check in our own heart. And if we don't have an answer to that question, what are we hoping this ministry does? If we don't have an answer to that question, it's like playing darts in the dark. You might be able to throw the dart. You may even throw it in the right direction, but your chances of a bullseye are slim to none because you don't really know what you're aiming at. But when we stop and we consider what we're doing, we're reminded that we persist and we we persevere in the ministry God has set before us for the sake of the church, for the kingdom of God, for our brothers and sisters in Christ, for God's lost children. And we do so by standing firmly on and, and, and proclaiming the truth of the gospel with love and grace. And as we do, we seek to fulfill not not our desires and not our scorecard, but to present others as complete, perfect, mature in Christ. Church family, you do an incredible, incredible job of this. Can I just say that? You guys do an amazing job and, and, and one of my great blessings as a pastor of this church is I get to see how that happens. 
I get to see how, how you love the people around you well, how you stand firm in the truth of the gospel, how you do so with love and grace. And I'm so grateful for the fact that you do that and you do that well. My encouragement to you this morning is this, don't stop. May we continue to serve. And as we do, let us not lose sight of the why that drives the what. May we purposefully take the love of our God to our brothers and sisters in Christ into a world that desperately needs to know who he is and what he has done on their behalf. May we continue and we continue to serve in the ministry of the kingdom of our God upon the foundation of the truth of the gospel. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the, the truth of your word. We thank you for the gift and the blessing we have of knowing you, of, of loving you, of getting to serve you, not because we have to, not because it's like, okay, you saved us, great, now what do I gotta do in order to, you know, stay on your good side. But Father, because you have, have equipped us for unique opportunities of ministry, and we get to live that out. And so Father, we thank you, and we praise you. When we pray now as we prepare for, for the week ahead, as we prepare for whatever it is that you have in store for us, Father, may you just remind us over and over and over again of how greatly you have loved us, how perfectly you have provided for us, and how greatly you desire for us to know you and love you and serve you through our acts of service, through the ministry that you're putting in front of us, not as a means of gaining your affections, but Father, as a response to the affections that have so greatly been poured out over us. May we never forget your love, your grace, and your mercy. Lord, we love you. It's in your great and awesome name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about Erie Evangelical Free Church or our ministries, please visit www.eriefree.com or join us in person at 1409 16th Avenue, Erie, Illinois.